Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all fountains of water, and unto all brooks, peradventure, we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself." And so let's stop there and let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be here this morning, Father, in your house, gathered around your word. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. I pray that you would touch hearts, Father, as only you can, as we look at the life of Elijah and uh, the exciting ministry that he's involved in. And, Father, I pray uh, that you would just, uh, again, speak to hearts. And, Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. If you remember, we left Elijah last week, uh, on the le- not last week, the week before, on the, the lesson about the weeping. And Elijah was, of course, uh, with the widow woman. And, and we pick that up there in verse number uh, 1 of chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days. So Elijah has been staying with this widow woman for all this time. And, uh, and the famine is really sore. Now we know from other parts of Scripture that that famine had lasted, or the drought rather, had lasted for three years. And so uh, it was a very lengthy time. We don't know how long he was by the brook Kidron, uh, or the brook Cherith, excuse me. Uh, we don't know how long he was by that brook Cherith, uh, but, but you've got to imagine how long before it starts to dry up, and we don't know that. Uh, six months, a year, we don't know. And so he's been now with this widow woman uh, and, and living and living, remember, with that, that little bit of oil and that little bit of flour that they would go back day after day after day and God would supply their needs for going on a, a year, maybe two years. Uh, that he has been there. And you'll remember at the end of the lesson, that, uh, the, rather the last lesson, that her son had died. And, uh, and boy, what a, you think about a tough place to be in. And uh, of course, Elijah was there and, and prays, and the boy comes back to life, and it was a great miracle. And, and so Elijah has been there for quite some time. And finally, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And says, hey, I want you to go show thyself to Ahab. And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to see the wanderers. That would be uh, that, that Elijah is not wandering, but obviously Ahab and Obadiah are out wandering the countryside looking for grass. And, uh, and as Elijah is to go and show himself to uh, King Ahab, he runs into Obadiah. And so that's what we're going to look at. And I want us to think about this this morning as we look at our whole text. I want you to think about the precept of God. And uh, of course the command, we've, we've noted this in Elijah's life in the past, but here is a fresh look at the same idea that God comes to Elijah and he says, Hey, go show thyself unto Ahab. And uh, this is the exact opposite of what God had told him to do earlier. Look back with me in chapter 17 and verse number 3. Uh, after Elijah has condemned King Ahab, the Bible says there in verse number 3 of chapter 17, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith. 
And, uh, and so we find that uh, there's, a, there's 180 difference uh, of what God has just commanded Elijah to do. So after he confronts Ahab, uh, and he is there for, a, uh, for, the, for condemning Ahab and the wickedness of Baal worship in the country, God says, hey, go and hide yourself. And, and you would think, man... After you have the courage to confront the king, I mean, there's some adrenaline that kicks in there. There's some excitement there. And, and you've got to imagine Elijah is ready. Hey, let's, let's fight this. I mean, uh, you know, let's, let's have this showdown right here and right now. And, and, and he's just confronted the king, but God sends him to the brook Cherith to, uh, to wait for a long time. Now three years have passed. And now the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, Go show thyself to Ahab. And Elijah's thinking, wait a minute. Man, I, I'm all comfortable. Um, I'm eating every day. And, and you have been miraculously providing almost to the point where, man, you know, life is good. God's taken care of me day in and day out. And now the apple cart is upset again. And now... I need to go and show myself to King Ahab. And he's in a relaxed, comfortable place where God has been blessing continually. And, uh, and here comes the opposite uh, of God's command. And let me just point this out, that sometimes we try to understand God's reasoning, and sometimes it just does not make sense to us. Uh, but God has His ways. And I'm reminded of the verse in Isaiah 55 and verse 8. The Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so when God comes to, to Elijah, and, uh, and Elijah's now comfortable, and everything is going well for Elijah, and, and even that difficulty of, of her son, passing away and coming back to life uh, they're just in a, a, a smooth spot in the road and now God says hey I want you to go back to Ahab and uh, I could imagine Elijah thinking boy that's really everything's going really well and I'm very content where I'm at and 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 I don't really want to move um, now, I'm not saying that he thought that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But I could imagine that would be very contrary to what his flesh desired. And sometimes uh, God asks us to do things that are very contrary uh, to what would make sense to us or what we would think, well, that's not the best for this time or, or whatever. But God has his ways that are so much better than our ways. And so we see uh, the precept of God. We see the requirement uh, of this command. But I want you to notice as well, not just the requirement that God told him to go, but I want you to see the reinforcement as well. Look with me in verse number 8. 1 of chapter 18. He says this, uh, we'll read the whole verse. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show thyself unto Ahab. And what does he say after that? It says, and I will send rain upon the earth. He's saying, hey, you go do this and I will send rain upon the earth. You know, there's something wonderful about God's commands is that he also gives a promise with them. 
He's saying, hey, listen, this famine, this drought, this time period when there's no rain, which would cause a famine, uh, is about to be over. And so God's saying, hey, now is the time to go show yourself to Ahab, and I'm going to prepare, and I'm going to send rain. And so even though when God says something and it doesn't seem to make sense to us or, or, or maybe we think, well, man, uh, you know, Israel still hasn't repented and Israel is still worshiping Baal and they haven't learned anything. They haven't changed their ways, but yet God knows what's best. And he says, hey, I want you to go show yourself to Ahab. And he tags along there and he says, I'm going to send rain. And he reinforces the fact that Elijah needs to obey because God is going to take care of him. And listen, this is not just this instance, but this is historical. Look with me, back with me in chapter 17 and verse number 3. He tells him in, chapter, in verse number 3 of chapter 17, to hide thyself by the brook Cherith. Look at what it says in verse number 4. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. In other words, God said, hey, go hide by the brook Cherith. You can drink from the brook, and, and I will send the ravens, and they'll take care of you. And so, the whole, so, so God gives a command, and he gives a promise. He says, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I've got it all worked out. And so Elijah then goes to the brook Cherith. We know the story that as he's there at the brook Cherith, and it dries up, he says, hey, arise and go to Zarephath. And what does he say? I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And so he says, hey, I've got you covered, Elijah, and I'm giving my word that when you arrive, just like when you left Ahab and went to the brook Cherith and I took care of you with the ravens, I'm going to be there. Just like when the brook dried up and I sent you to Zarephath and with the widow woman, that I'm going to take care of you. And so he says, hey, I want you to go to Ahab and I'm going to take care of you and there's going to be rain and I'm with you. And he gives him that promise. What a blessing that God reinforces his commands with a promise. Boy, that's true in our lives too. That's not just true for Elijah. That's true many times throughout Scripture. I'm uh, thinking of Abraham. Uh, and Abraham, God told Abraham, get thee from thy kindred. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you can mark it down. He tells Abraham, go from thy kindred uh, to a land. And, and he doesn't even tell him what land. He says, to a land that I will show thee. But then verse 2, you know what God says? In Genesis 12, he says, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And so uh, God's saying, hey, I'm giving you a command, but I'm giving you a promise as well. And listen, God's promises, he's always faithful to fulfill in his promises. And I love the fact that he accompanies this command with a promise. He says, go to, go to Ahab, and I'm going to send rain. Uh, what about for us? I, I think of this verse in Matthew 28, 19 uh, and 20. He says, go ye therefore into all the world and teach. And, and, and we're to give the word of God to all the world. Hey, listen, as a missionary, uh, I remember many times going and, and being out there, and, and sometimes you're wondering, man, this is a foreign language, it's a foreign culture, it's a foreign place, and, and I don't necessarily know everything. And, and, uh, and, and remembering, thinking this, God said, at verse number 20 of Matthew 20, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
And if you're doing what God uh, wants you to do, if you're going where God wants you to go, and, and you're following God's commands, that there are promises that he's accompanied with those, just like here for Elijah. He was sending Elijah back in to Ahab's palace, back to Ahab's uh, kingdom, back to where Ahab was in control. And, and it was uh, a, a scary thing, but it was what God had asked of him, but God gave him a promise to go with that. Look with me in verse number 2 of 1 Kings 18, and we see, uh, we see Elijah's response. He said in verse number 2, And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. There's something just marvelous about reading that God gives a command and then that person goes and does that command that God gave them. We don't see that in the book of Jonah. We studied the book of Jonah. And, and Jonah goes and he goes the opposite direction. He was not going to where God wanted him to. And, and, and then God tried to reprimand him, and, and God tried to correct him, and dry, God, God uh, sent the storm, and God sent all these things into Jonah's life to try and steer him into the right direction. Boy, how simple and how basic it is with obedience that takes place with Elijah. And oh, how things are so much better uh, with obedience and with just basic, hey, I'm doing what God would have me to do and following the Lord. We ought not be stubborn in our lives. We ought to just obey what God wants us to do. Things go so much easier when we obey Him. Um, This week, my my daughter had worked at camp, and uh, all, all summer long she's worked at camp, but she's worked in the kitchen. And, uh, and so it's been, I don't know if I'd say easy work, but it's been a different type of work. And so she, you know, she'd get up in the morning and, and she sleeps in a cabin and she has a, a bed. And, and this is at the Wilderness Christian Camp where they have, uh, they have um, base camps, they call them. And she didn't sleep in any of the base camps. She just stayed in a, in a cabin and uh, she'd get up and go to the kitchen in the morning and, uh, and then, you know, go back to her cabin and back to the kitchen and back to the cabin. And that was really, uh, for weeks, that was her her, what she was doing, and she'd, of course, prepare the food and do all of that and clean up and all that work. But this last couple of weeks, uh, or a little over a week and a half, I guess, uh, they, they, they stepped her up and said, all right, you're not going to be kitchen help this week. You're going to be a guide. And, uh, and Charity's like, oh, boy, I don't know about this. And uh, uh, they said, you can do it. And so she had to go stay in the base camp. And, and then the base camps, you know, there's only three walls and a roof and uh, that fourth wall it's not there and uh, and so Charity's not a very outdoorsy kind of person uh, but uh, but she enjoyed it she had a good time she was telling me about some of the girls and and she said this one girl and she's never really been um, been a counselor before and so she's worked with kids and worked with things like that, but, uh, but this was her first time, and so she was telling me, she said, this one, this one girl, she gives her instruction, and the girl says, I can't do that. And she says, why can't you do that? And, and she said they had a 20-minute conversation about, yes, you can do that, and yes, you will do that, you do that. And, and it just went back and forth, well, I can't do that because of this and because of that. And, and, and if you have ever worked with children or had children, you know the conversation that ensues. And, uh, and, and you're, uh, you're just telling them, hey, you're going to do this. And listen, how do you think God is in heaven? He says, hey, go do this. And then we're like, man, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like going that direction. 
I don't feel like doing that right now. That's not really in my plans right now. And we argue and we decide and we try and get out of it and we excuse ourselves and we create all these other reasons why we cannot do it that, that really to God are like, don't make sense and don't fit. And, and how much nicer it is when, when you have another, uh, if you have children, of course, and you've told them and you say, hey, go take out the trash. And, and, and your child gets up and goes and takes out the trash and you about fall over like, what just happened? That is amazing. Like, man, why, why can't it be like that every time? And I could just imagine God sitting in heaven saying, man, it's so nice. I told Elijah to go to Ahab, and Elijah takes off and starts heading to Ahab and saying, hey, I'm going to do what God would have me to do. We have an amazing response. It doesn't show out. It does, it's not flashy. It's just simple and pure obedience to God's command. And what a blessing that is in Elijah's life. So we see the precept of God that God has said, hey, Elijah, I want to go show yourself to Ahab. I want you to notice the problem of Obadiah. Look with me in verse number 7. We stopped reading in verse number 6. The Bible says there in verse number 7, And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face and said, Art thou that my lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? And as the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when uh, I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now, Obadiah is a curious character in this story, and in the Bible, for that matter. Matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of people draw a lot of, uh, of diverse opinions about uh, Obadiah. Obadiah is certainly a complex character in this, uh, in this story. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he had a prominent position as the governor of Ahab's house, the Bible tells us. And, uh, and so some people uh, completely condemn Obadiah. Some people condone uh, Obadiah and say he was a good man. And, and I think there was a little bit of both, to be honest with you. And look at verse number 3. As we look at this, the Bible says in verse number 3, And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. He's certainly to be con com commended for his fear of the Lord. There's no doubt about that. The scripture gives us that. 
And that is not somebody else's opinion. That is just a, an outright fact that is listed with Obadiah when it's listed that he feared the Lord greatly. This statement's very clear. Uh, now, he did live in a time of Baal worship in Israel when Baal worship was popular and it was the main thing. But he didn't go along with it, apparently. Uh, well, the Bible made a point of specifically referencing, hey, that, that he greatly feared the Lord. And so there's certainly a, a great aspect to the life of Obadiah that he feared the Lord and, and that he would obey God and not just go with the rest of society in the direction that they are going and follow along with them. But he stood strong in that he said, hey, uh, I fear God. And, and, and personally, he would uh, fear God in his life. Not only did he fear the Lord, but I want you to notice this. The Bible tells us right here uh, that he favored the prophets. Look with me in verse number 4. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now here's Obadiah and, uh, and, and Jezebel uh, who was... Uh, apparently leading this whole thing of Baal worship, uh, was cutting off the prophets. Now, what does exactly that mean? Uh, I'm not 100% for sure. Maybe she was persecuting them. Maybe she was imprisoning them. I believe that probably she was killing them. Uh, that's why he would take a 100 of them and hide them so that they would not be imprisoned or persecuted or killed. And, uh, and, the, and he set them aside. And so it's obvious by his favoring of these prophets that he, he did fear the Lord. Uh, now he did it, uh, he was very careful about it. Here he is harboring and feeding and taking care of these prophets of the Lord to try and save their lives. That's certainly a positive thing. And, and Obadiah is to be commended for his hiding of those prophets and for the work that he has done and for the fact that the Bible does say that he feared the Lord greatly. What a great work that Obadiah was involved in. There's no doubt about that. But I want you to notice as well, equally, that he is to be commended for his fear of the Lord and for his favor of these prophets that he hid uh, from Jezebel from being persecuted or killed or kicked out of the country or whatever they were doing. I want you to notice that he's not a perfect man. By the way, the Bible uh, is full of very imperfect men. Uh, you think about all the people of the Bible. Uh, you think about King David. He was not a perfect man. You think about Elijah that we're studying. He was not a perfect man. Uh, the Bible says in the New Testament that he was a man of like passions as we are. And, and so uh, all the examples in the Bible of all the people were sinful people. They were not perfect. They were not. Uh, they did make mistakes. Joseph, uh, you think about Daniel, you think about you could name all of the, the, the people in the Bible and they did make mistakes. And so what were some of the things that were a problem in Obadiah's life uh, as we think about it? Well, first and foremost that comes to mind is his employment. Uh, he was the, uh, the governor, he was in charge of Ahab's house. And you say, well, that's not so bad. No, listen, he had to please Ahab. He had to, he had to do what Ahab wanted him to do. Uh, I would imagine that, that he didn't say, well, you know what, um, Ahab, that today is a sacrifice to the Lord, so I'm going to go down to the temple and I'm going to offer a sacrifice. No, that wouldn't have flown with Ahab. 
And so uh, I think that he was very covert in his dealings with, with Ahab. You say, well, what about Daniel and Joseph? Listen, Daniel and Joseph suffered for being in the high position that they were in. They, they didn't get there uh, by being covert and, and, and sneaky about things. And, and we don't have any record of Obadiah uh, standing for the Lord other than he covertly hid those prophets. And so I think just the fact that he was employed by Ahab and Jezebel. And here they are uh, in verses 5 and 6 is kind of odd. Here's the king, Ahab. And here's his highest, probably his highest in command, Obadiah. And you know what? They're out scouring the land for grass. Listen, the real problem was the sin of Israel. That was the real problem. Obadiah should have been seeking the Lord uh, and seeking uh, what God would have him to do and, and just flat out telling the king, look at uh, that, that you're not going to find grass because there's not rain because we're still worshiping Baal. And as long as there's Baal worship in this country, that God's not going to bless. And he could have and probably should have reprimanded the king and stood up for the things that God had condemned in Israel. And we have no record of that. So I think just by the fact that he was employed uh, by Ahab, and, and seemingly content and happy there, uh, was probably a problem in the life of Obadiah. Uh, go with me to verse number 7. Not only that, but I want you to notice when he runs into uh, Elijah, Elijah says, hey, go tell Ahab that I'm here. Look at what he says there in verse 7. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him. And he fell on his face and said, Art thou that my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Look at what he says. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? In other words, whoa, I've been, uh, Ahab doesn't know that, that I harbored those, those prophets. And Ahab doesn't know that, that I'm, I'm one that would, uh, that would stand for the Lord. And, and now you're going to send me to Ahab and say, well, I found Elijah and Ahab's going to kill me immediately. He said, what sin have I done? And, and he automatically gets defensive and he starts to pose excuses and say, well, uh, you know, I don't think I'm really that bad. Look at what he says in verse number 12. This is amazing as you look at it. It says, And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. You know what he's saying in verse number 12? I don't trust the Lord in this. He's saying, listen, if, if I go tell Ahab like you want me to, and, and while I'm gone telling Ahab that the Spirit of the Lord's going to scoop you up and take you elsewhere, and, and then Ahab's going to be mad at me and he's going to kill me, we see a definite lack of trust in Obadiah's life for the Lord. Yes, he feared the Lord greatly. Yes, he did harbor those prophets uh, in, in, a, in a way that would uh, take care of them. But at the same time, we do see a lack of, of trust and a lack of faith in Obadiah's life as he's saying, hey, if I leave, the Lord's going to swoop you away and Ahab's going to kill me and I'm going to be done. And, and so uh, we see this in, in his life. Not only that, but I want you to notice in verse number 12, look at the end of it. He says, but I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. 
uh, he's a little bit arrogant as he starts to proclaim to Elijah. Elijah, who is Elijah again? Elijah, the man of God. Elijah, the man that walked in and condemned King Ahab and told him, you're doing wickedly and there's going to be a drought. There's not going to be any rain in this country uh, because of the wickedness that is going on in all of Israel. And then, of course, the Lord leaves, uh, uh, takes, takes Elijah away and hides him by the brook Cherith. And, and so as uh, Obadiah sees this, and here's the man of God, that has started all of this, he probably could have had a little more faith to say, you know what, if the man of God is telling me this, then I'm going to go do what God wants me to do. But he didn't have that faith. And he didn't trust Elijah. And he didn't trust God. And he was concerned. And, and he has to bolster himself up. Look, I, I've been, he tells Elijah, look, I, I've been in church all my life. And look at how good I am. And he, and he tries to build himself up uh, as he says, hey, I, I, from, from my youth, not only that, but in verse number 13, look at what he says. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid an hundred men in the Lord's prophets by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And, and we find that he's saying, look, don't, don't you know who I am, Elijah? Man, I, I, I'm a good guy. I mean, I've served the Lord from my youth, and I'm fe I've feared the Lord from my youth. I've been in church my whole life, and didn't you hear about how I hid those 100 prophets? Don't you know how important I am? You kind of see Obadiah building himself up and, and, and explaining to Elijah, the man of God. And I don't think those actions were necessarily right, and so we see Obadiah... As, as a character who did indeed fear God greatly. There's no doubt about that. The Bible says that. By the way, how do you have those two things uh, that, are, that are parallel and yet so far different? Uh, one of the best examples that I think of that I, I've used many times is the life of Lot. If you were to read the Old Testament and you were to read through the life of Lot, I think it's Genesis chapter uh, 13 up through 19, if I'm not mistaken. And if you were to sit down and read the entire story of the life of Lot, you in Genesis you would come away thinking, that boy was lost. There's no way that boy went to heaven. You, you think, man, he, he was living in Sodom. Uh, when, when he actually told his sons, when the angels came to warn Lot, hey, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You need to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and Lot told his sons, his daughters, and his sons-in-laws, hey, you know what? God's going to destroy this place. We need to get out of here. You know what his, his, the reaction of his sons-in-laws and daughters was? <laughs> what, are you, what are you, a prophet now? I mean, they laughed. They mocked him. They thought, who are you? We've never seen you open a Bible. We've never seen you go to church. We've never heard a Bible verse come out of your mouth. And now all of a sudden you're telling us that God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? This guy is off his rocker. That's what his family said. And you say, man, this, this guy didn't have very good testimony. No, he didn't. Matter of fact, if I read it and that's all I had to go on, I'd say, boy, that guy's lost. But the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter number 2, I wrote it down here, chapter number 2 in verses 7 and 8, it says, Righteous Lot, which vexed his soul day to day. And we find out in the New Testament, Lot was saved, but he wasn't living right. And, and so could somebody say they feared the Lord? Yes, they could say that they feared the Lord. And, and Lot probably did fear the Lord because when the angels came and they said Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed, Lot thought, this is true. 
hey, the judgment of God's going to fall on this place, and I need to warn my family, and I need to get out of here. The problem was that his life didn't line up with what he really felt in his heart, and so when it came down to the moment that he would proclaim that to his very own family, they rejected everything that, they, that he had said because they had never witnessed a single uh, spiritual bone in Lot's body. And they didn't know that that was truly in his heart. And so he had hid it all of his life. And so I'm just saying that that is an example. Uh, Obadiah very well could have been wrong, even though he did fear the Lord. Uh, and, and some of his actions did show, but listen, uh, many of his outward actions probably did not display his Christianity uh, because I don't think Ahab and especially Jezebel that was rounding up the prophets of God and killing them would have put up with Ahab being a Christian in her house as the second second in command to her, her kingdom. I'll say it that way. Because really, she ran a lot of things. You, you find that out through, through the life of, of King Ahab. And so we find the precept of God. We find the, the, the problem of Obadiah. But I want you to notice the performance as well of Ahab. In verse number 16, look with me there. The Bible says in, let's go to verse number 17. And it came to pass... When Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and, and the prophets of Baal, four hundred and fifty and the prophets of the groves, 400, uh, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. This is an amazing thing uh, as we look at the performance of Ahab. And I want you to notice his administration. Listen, uh, he was out trying to find grass uh, to save his animals. We read that way back in, I think it was verse 7 or something like that that they split up him and, him and Obadiah. They went out looking for grass, concerned for their animals. What about a concern for the people of his, of his country? And here he is concerned about the animals. And uh, not only that, but I want you to notice uh, verse number 17. He accuses verse number, yeah, verse number 17, the last part. He says, art thou he that troubleth Israel? We see his accusation. Boy, it's amazing and it's not new, by the way, but it happens over and over how uh, heathen people who do not fear God are very quick to blame Christians and prophets and people of God for the problems that they have brought on themselves. Here's Ahab. Obviously because of the wickedness of his kingdom, obviously because of the Baal worship that is taking place in Israel, God has judged. That's what was clearly presented in, in 1 Kings chapter 17 when, when Elijah went to King Ahab in the first place. Uh, he condemned that wickedness. And then as soon as Eli, uh, Ahab sees Elijah again, he says... There's that troublemaker. There's the guy that brought all this problem into Israel. There's that stinking rascal that we've been hunting for for three years that caused us all these problems. And he's throwing all of the problems and the accusation is thrown uh, directly against the man of God. That hasn't changed much. 
Um, listen, throughout history, uh, there's been many attacks against Christians and against those who oppose wickedness and stand for righteousness like we're to blame when it's really God that, that is causing this. Uh, I mean, the Bible's full of it even in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16 and verse 20, or Acts chapter 17 rather, and verse 6, it says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. And they persecuted them, saying, hey, these guys have brought problems into our city. And, and time and time again, I mean, the Apostle Paul was arrested and, and condemned because this is the guy that keeps causing all the uproars in our towns, and he's the problem, and he's the one. And the Apostles spent time in jail and were persecuted over and over and over again. Listen, we, we, we ought to know and understand that the Bible, Jesus said it this way, basically he said, don't be surprised that the world hates you. They hated me first. That's how Jesus said it. He basically was saying, listen, they're going to hate you because they don't like righteousness. Nothing has changed. King Ahab uh, is accusing Elijah of being the problem causer. Look at the arraignment of Elijah in verse number 18. I love this. Elijah didn't mince words and he, he wasn't... Uh, he didn't back down in verse number 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Elijah was, look, I'm not wrong. I know what's going on. I know what the problem is, and the problem is not me. You can blame me uh, to make yourself feel better and to ease your conscience, but this is not the problem. Uh, the problem is the wickedness and the sin that is taking place. And listen, uh, some sin has got to be condemned uh, without a doubt. And, and Elijah was fearless in doing that. He was bold in standing for the truth and saying, listen... I'm not the one that's wrong. I'm following the Lord. I'm obeying what God would have me to do. And you're the one that's wrong. And this is the wickedness of Baal worship that is taking place in this country. Uh, the Bible still says that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Hey, sin has got to be condemned. And sin has got to be stood against. And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's the king. It doesn't matter if it's the servants. But sin has got to be condemned. Not only that, but I love the way that Elijah phrased this. He says there in, in the last part, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. He's not just condemning Ahab based on his words, based on his opinion, based on his thoughts, but he's condemning Ahab based on the word of the Lord. Listen, if we're going to stand against sin and if we're going to condemn sin, we have to do it from a biblical perspective, not just because, well, it's my opinion that you shouldn't do this or it's my thoughts that you shouldn't do this. It has to be based on the word of God. And Elijah is very, very quick to say, hey, listen, you have gone against you have transgressed the commandments of God and started worshiping Baal. And so he's quick to condemn the sin and, and he's right to stand on the word of God. And I love this in verses 19 and 20. We don't really have time to reread them, but, but think of this. Elijah's now giving orders. It's funny because 
three years ago, uh, Elijah comes onto the scene and, and he says, hey, Ahab, um, God is going to judge this place. There's not going to be rain or dew. And, uh, and, and then God swoops him up and moves him off to the brook Cherith where he's hidden. And, and Ahab is going crazy looking for him for three years and trying to find him. And he's unable to. And now the tables are all turned and, and Elijah has returned. Ahab is there and Elijah says, hey, go gather up all the prophets of Baal. Gather up all the prophets of the, of the grove. 850 prophets. 400 of which were eating at Jezebel's table. Do you understand that, that this is kind of the problem of Obadiah? How is it that Obadiah is associating uh, with this allow, and, and even going along with all of this wickedness and feeding and maintaining all of this without saying anything? And, and so we see that Elijah is now saying, hey, gather up all the prophets. And, uh, and Ahab says, okay, what a response from Ahab. Okay, I'll go get him. And, and he turns right around and he does uh, what, what Elijah has told him to do. Listen, it's not uh, Elijah's power, it's God's power. And, and it was the effect of the judgment of God for three years that had taken place in Israel where there was no rain, there was no dew, and, and all of that has taken a toll. And, and people have got to see the power of God in our lives. If, if, if we think we're going to have an impact, it's not going to be because of us. It's not going to be because of what we can do. It's going to be what, what God can do through us. And we have got to be walking with the Lord. We have got to be obedient to the Lord as Elijah was in these passages. Elijah, go to the brook Cherith. Okay. Elijah, go to Ahab. Okay. Elijah, go to the brook Cherith. Okay. Elijah, go to Zarephath for the widow woman I have prepared to sustain thee. Okay. Elijah, now it's time. I want you to go and show yourself to Ahab. Elijah says, okay. And every step, every place that God says, hey, go do this. Elijah is obedient and follows the Lord and says, I will do it. And we see that Elijah has tremendous power with God because of his simple childlike obedience obedience to the Lord's command. I know how we need that in our life. If we're going to have power with God, boy, we need to have obedience to His Word and His command. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet for a short hymn of invitation.